0: Well, good morning. My name is Harry Shields. Uh, My wife, Carol, and I were with you about two weeks ago, and it's great to be back with you on this Fourth of July weekend. Over the last several weeks, uh, Horizon has been in a series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, When All Heaven Breaks Loose is the theme of this series, looking at the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as he enters into his earthly ministry And he manifests himself in some dramatic ways. All heaven breaks loose as we look at Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This morning, uh, as we look at our text, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and you may want to turn there in your copy of the scriptures or in your electronic devices. And as we look at Mark 7, God wants to talk to us about cleanliness. You hear that word and you say, but surely God doesn't care about cleanliness because we all know there are some people who can be rather obsessive about cleanliness, right? Maybe as soon as I said that, you nudge the person next to you uh, or you know some obsessive people. Uh, One of my favorite television programs uh, is the uh, program It's now off the air. It's called Monk. It, It focuses on a detective who has been put on administrative leave uh, and he's recovering from his uh, obsessive compulsive tendencies. And if you know anything about Adrian Monk, you know that when he shows up at a crime scene, he really doesn't like to shake anyone's hand. If he does so by mistake, he immediately asks his administrative assistant to, for one of those antiseptic wipes. And so he cleans up and uh, he doesn't like to be around sick people. He doesn't like to go to hospitals. He thinks that they are plagues waiting to happen. And. Adrian Monk wants to make sure that everything is in order. In fact, if he had his way, a crime scene would be cleaned up within uh, about 45 minutes to an hour. He is obsessive about cleanliness and orderliness. Uh, Why does that surprise us, though? Because we also have some of the same tendencies, not uh, to the degree that Adrian Monk might have, but, but we are concerned about cleanliness. That's probably why some of you will have one of those little bottles of hand sanitizer in your purse or in your automobile, or you'll have some um, antibacterial soap on your kitchen counter or in your bathroom, or or you too, you like things in an orderly manner. We, We like things to be clean and orderly. That's good when it comes to our outward appearance, but what about the cleanliness of the soul, And you're going to say, Harry, is that really important? Does anyone think about that? Quite frankly, religions down through the ages have talked about the cleanliness of the soul. For example, Muslims. One of the things that they will do is uh, they will participate in the giving of alms or the presenting of alms. Because they think that somehow that will give them good standing, that will give them favor with God. And sometimes... They will even engage in dramatic acts, thinking that they will somehow please Allah in the things that they do. Hindus, for example. Every 12 years, they will travel to India. They will go to the Ganges River. They will walk into the river and they will bathe there several times in the course of the day or over a several day period of time. They're concerned about the cleanliness, not just of the outward body, but of their soul as well. In fact, when we come to this passage in Mark chapter 7, we discover that there is a group of people not so much concerned about antiseptic types of things or bodily cleanliness. The Jews were concerned about a right standing before God and they felt they had to go through certain rituals, follow certain steps so that God would accept them and they would be clean before him. But what's the real answer to that? How does one purify his soul? Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. In the process of doing so, we're going to examine the text to see what Mark is really saying. On the other side of examining the text, we're going to discover a truth. A truth that I trust you will take with you into the rest of your life. And then after looking at that truth, we're going to examine some of the takeaways. How does this truth fit into our lives in terms of our everyday experiences. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Look at the text, discover a truth, and then we're going to see how we can take that truth with us into the rest of our lives. So take a look with me at uh, Mark chapter 7, and I want you to notice that in the first five verses, Jesus is confronted with a conflict. Not the first time he's faced confrontation. In fact, that happens uh, Several times in the course of his ministry. We saw it back in Mark chapter 2, again in Mark chapter 3. In this context, apparently his disciples are doing something that are not pleasing to the religious leaders of that day and time. Would you follow along as I read verses 1 through 5? Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Then the Pharisees. And scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So there's the conflict. Now, would you notice that the disciples are doing something? Apparently, they learned this from Jesus. They come out of the marketplace. They get some food. They start to eat. They don't wash the food. They don't wash their hands. And the Pharisees are saying, oh, my goodness, how in the world could they do something like this? And so the Pharisees are evaluating all of this and they come to Jesus with this situation. But would you notice that twice Mark gives us a description in the midst of this confrontation? Would you notice in verse three that he tells us the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders? If you were to drop down to verse 5, you would see that that same phrase is repeated. They do not do anything without the tradition or following the tradition of the elders. When the Jews came out of Babylonian and Persian captivity, scholars tell us that they probably abandoned idolatry. They learned that that's the reason why they were judged in the first place, sent into exile. And so when they came out, they were very concerned. What can we do to please Yahweh? Yahweh. And so the biblical scholars of that day and time, the scribes and the Pharisees, they they started to look at different opinions and they started to write down some of these things. Certain steps that were not outlined in the law of Moses. In fact, many of those recordings were put together in a document that is referred to as the Mishnah. The Mishnah has all kinds of rules and regulations. Many of them are what we refer to as purity laws or purity rituals. So when Mark explains to his Roman readers well, what these Pharisees and scribes were doing, and he talks about the tradition of the elders, he is talking about these regulations that were found in documents like the Mishnah. And so they're following all of these things, and they're very upset because the disciples are not doing this. So there is a conflict. Now, I want you to notice that following this conflict, in the text, Jesus responds in three different ways. One of the first things that we see that he does is that he gives a pronouncement. He actually speaks to the people in response or the religious leaders in response to their questions. Notice what he says in verses 6 through 8. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it was written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. Now would you notice in verse 6 that Jesus picks up on what Isaiah said centuries earlier and he says he was right in calling you hypocrites. A hypocrite is, uh, very simply, a play actor. Now, that term started out, a very positive term. It referred to people who were involved in drama, and they would step out into an open-air stage, and they would wear a mask. They would wear that mask, and they would carry out one role, and then maybe they would have another responsibility in the drama. And so they would put on another mask, and they would wear that mask. And, and, and so the term came to be known as a, a play actor. But then it took on negative connotations. Meaning by that, that there were some people say, "Oh, you're just a play actor." With respect to these religious leaders, what Jesus was saying is, "Listen, you had this outward appearance of piety, but inside, you were simply living a lie." And so Jesus uh, refers to them as a hypocrite, uh, quoting Isaiah. Uh, chapter 29, in verse 7, he says, Your heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What he's saying, especially in verse 8, is that you've taken these things, like the writings in the Mishnah, you've elevated them to a position that you do not deserve. In fact, you are elevating them over the very law of God, what God himself has given to us. You are living a lie. That's Jesus' pronouncement on the religious leaders. Now, would you notice the next thing that Jesus does, following the pronouncement, he gives proof that what he is saying is accurate. He he gives evidence. What's the evidence? Look at what he says, beginning in verse 9. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said... Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now, Jesus is giving a proof here. How so? Would you note that in verse 10, he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes a verse from Exodus chapter 20. Right after that, he quotes a verse from Exodus chapter 21. It has to do with honoring your parents. In fact, the the verse in uh, Exodus chapter 1, he says, if if someone uh, doesn't do this, let that person be accursed. Uh, that that person is under the judgment of God. They ought to be put to death. But notice the first word that uh, Jesus quotes in verse 10. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some parents here this morning that when their children were very small, they might have said to to their children, This is what the Bible says. God says, You are supposed to honor your father and your mother. (laughs) And little Johnny says, Daddy, what does that mean? (laughs) And the father says, Well, that means that you need to respect your mother and your father, too. And it means that uh, you need to say please and thank you. And those are the kinds of things that we generally say when we talk about honoring your father and mother. But that's not exactly what Jesus had in mind. It's not what the triune God had in mind when the scriptures tell us, Honor your father and mother. In fact, It is explained for us when Jesus goes on and makes another statement. He says, listen, this is what you do to show that you're not really honoring your father and mother. You're elevating other commandments like uh, those statements in in the Mishnah. You are taking certain things that you have because you see, Jesus understood. God understood that whenever parents reached a certain stage in life, what we call the senior adult years, they come to a point where they may not be able to take care of of themselves. And in the Jewish community, what the children were supposed to do, they were to take out of their financial substance and they were to give for the care of their parents. That's what honoring father and mother means. Except in this context, Jesus says, you have followed a, a, another idea, a, another rule, another regulation, another ritual. And you've taken some of that money and you've set it aside like a tax shelter annuity. <laughs> and it's called Corbin. And you've set it aside over here so that if the parents come along or other family members come along, say, well, we really don't have any money to help out with mom and dad. We have a little over here, but it's Corbin. And then after the parents pass away, it could be that the ruling allowed that that money could come back to the person who first dedicated it to God. And it's now available for their usage. What Jesus is doing here, he is proving that they are really hypocrites. They have this outward sense of piety. But when you look at their life, they don't even go so far as to care for their own parents in their senior adult years. That's the proof. Jesus gives a pronouncement, kind of in your face about it. And then he comes and he follows that up with a proof. Then I want you to notice, there's a third thing that Jesus does. Jesus identifies a problem. Might I suggest what he's really doing here? He is saying, I want to identify for you what the real problem really is. Would you notice that in verses 14 through 16, he calls the multitude together after having this uh, interaction with the religious leaders. So here's what he says. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. I want you to remember that phrase. We'll come back to it a little bit later. Verse 15, he says, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You want to remember that statement, too. Verses 14 and verse 16. But notice in between, in verse 15. He says nothing going in, not the food that you take in, that doesn't defile you. It's what comes out, implying that defilement is already inherent in an individual's life. Then notice that Jesus is on and he speaks to his disciples, telling them what the real problem really is. Verse 17. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, Wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, that is jealousy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Again, Jesus saying, saying specifically to his disciples, your defilement, your uncleanness is inherent within you. It's been there from the very beginning of your existence. This is the problem that individuals have. And he's implying that going through these rituals simply will not clean them, will not give them a right standing before the living God. Now, that's the problem that Jesus points out, but I have an additional problem. I, I wouldn't be surprised that you have it as well. Would you notice that in verse 23 Jesus says, "All these evil things come from within and defile a man?" And then Mark records in verse 24, "From there he arose and went to read to the region of Tyre and Sidon." Now here's my problem. <laughs> If I were in that context, I would have said, Jesus, wait, wait. Don't don't leave. We need to know more. You've just been telling us that it's not what we take in that defiles, it's what comes out of us. In other words, we are already defiled. So how do we get cleaned up? It's almost as if we, we don't really know at this point. Ah. But Mark gives us some insight. In fact, Mark takes these events and he lays them down in such a way that what follows gives insight to what has preceded. Here's what I mean by that. Would you notice that in verses 24 through 30 that Jesus talks about Jesus going into or Mark talks about Jesus going into Tyre and Sidon and there in the area there is this Gentile woman unclean by the way who comes to him and says, listen, my my daughter is possessed with this demon. Can't you do something about it? And first we get the impression that Jesus is kind of putting her off. And, And then he says to her, no, you go back, your daughter as well. And the mother returns. And sure enough, there's her daughter sitting on her bed and the demon is gone. Jesus, by his very word, has made her clean. Next week, you're going to be looking at verses 31 through 37. It's a story about a a deaf man, and this deaf man is brought to Jesus. In that day and time, any physical malady was considered to be the result of sin. Do you remember that situation in John's Gospel where there's a blind man and the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, "Uh, Which one? Uh, Which one sinned, his parents or or this man? And Jesus says, "Uh, Neither But but so that the works of God might be manifested in this man, uh, these things have happened. In this situation, people were saying, well, there must be something wrong. He, He must be unclean. And yet Jesus opens his ears so that he can hear. Ultimately, he's going to hear the word of God. Not only can he hear, but he now has the ability to speak. How does it happen? Jesus is the one who made him clean. Consider one other passage of Scripture. It's found in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Would you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 4? Paul writes to Titus But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, that could be said, not by ritual, Which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What Paul is saying to Titus is that if we're going to find good standing before God and we're going to be spiritually clean, it comes through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. So what are we to make of all of this? There's a conflict. Jesus gives a pronouncement in the midst of that conflict. He follows it up with proof. The the proof is is followed by an analysis of what the real problem is, and then we discover that it's Jesus who makes us clean. Now, if you remember anything this morning, remember I said we'll look at the text and we'll discover a truth? That's what I want you to hear right now. I want you to hear this truth so that you might take it into the rest of your life. Listen up. Jesus is our spiritual cleanser who cleanses us from all spiritual uncleanness. Jesus is like a spiritual detergent who cleans us from all spiritual defilement. There is no other way. There is no other way to be clean before God except through faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's answer a couple of questions to see uh, what the takeaway might be, how this fits into our lives. I have two questions for you. First question is this. What does that really mean when we say that Jesus is our spiritual cleanser? Don't want to be disparaging of God. Don't want to sound sacrilegious. But what does that really mean? Actually, it actually means a couple of things. Here's the first thing. To say that Jesus is our spiritual cleanser means that he completes us he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves let me give you an example carol and i have uh, four grandchildren uh, we would be glad to show you pictures of the grandchildren upon request in fact we've even been known to show the pictures without request uh, we just present the pictures that anybody asks we have four grandchildren and our youngest uh, his name is aj and um, A.J. is going to be four months old uh, here in the, the month of July. The other day we were over at their home and, and our daughter-in-law, she handed uh, A.J. off to Carol. And, and Carol's kind of holding him in his lap. And uh, it, it was a wonderful scene to behold because Carol's talking to him and she's smiling. And AJ's smiling back. And he's cooing and he, he'll giggle a little bit at this, at this point in time. And, but here's the only thing. A.J. cannot do anything. Here's what I mean by that. A.J. cannot change his diaper, much to the chagrin of his father and grandfather. Uh, A.J. can't change his clothes. A.J. can't take a bath on his own. A.J. really can't do anything. So here's what has to happen. His parents, sometimes his grandparents, have to do everything for him. Just about everything. They complete his life at this point in time. Now, why do I tell you this? Because when you and I enter into the world, we are incomplete. There are things that we cannot do for ourselves. And there is nothing that we can do that will make us clean before the living God. That's why Jesus had to enter into history and time and to come to make us complete. He completes us. He cleans us up before God Almighty. The other thing that he does is that Jesus connects us. He connects us with God Almighty. Charles Colson, as some of you know, um, prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, was a special counsel to former President Richard Nixon. And Colson used to like to tell the story about uh, when he was working as special counsel, he had the job of traveling around the country. And so he would meet with uh, business leaders and he would meet with labor leaders and he would talk with all kinds of people. He said, invariably, he'd get into these discussions and uh, people would say, Chuck, I just want you to know, I'd like to talk to the President of the United States, and I'd give him a piece of my mind. And Chuck Colson would say, would you like to talk with the President? Well, yeah, can you arrange it? Chuck Colson said, I can arrange that. And he said, invariably, I would set up appointments, matter of days, to meet with the President of the United States. He said, at the same time, when he would come into the President's uh, Oval Office, he said, everything would change. But they always wanted to meet, and Colson was able to make the connection. That's what Jesus does for us. You and I cannot simply come to God on our own. We, we go through Jesus. Oh, we have great conversations with God Almighty right now. We can bring anything to him as we were singing just a few moments ago. But Jesus is the one who makes that happen. Jesus is our spiritual cleanser who cleanses us from all spiritual uncleanness. What does that mean? It means he does for us. He completes in our lives what we cannot do for ourselves. He connects us in a way that we cannot connect with God on our own. Second question, and it's a question, if this is a faith relationship and Jesus is doing everything, is there anything we do? How how do we respond to this cleansing work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Lots of different ways. But let me share with you three. One of the first things that you and I need to do is if we are listening to Jesus, we need to exchange. We need to exchange our worldview. We need to exchange our thinking. We need to exchange our way of looking at life. And we need to embrace the way Jesus looks at life. If you were to go back to the text and look at those verses in uh, verse 14 and again in verse 16, because I called them to your attention just a few moments ago, Jesus says, hear me, everyone, and understand. Verse 16, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What he means by that, he said, listen, if you're getting the gist, if you understand what I'm saying, you need to stop believing in all of these rituals that you were following in the past. And you need to come and to realize that real spiritual cleansing is a faith relationship where you trust me to cleanse you. So we need to exchange our worldview." for his worldview. That's not the only thing we need to do. If we really have ears to hear and we're hearing what Jesus is saying, somewhere along the line, we will become worshipers. We will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been doing that this morning. And some of us, we begin to understand what our past was like and what Jesus has done for us. And so we lift up our voices, not just on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, but we do it every single day. We are exalting Jesus. Third thing that we do. Third thing is that we uh, come to the point where we begin to examine our hearts to see what is really going on. If you were to go back to verse 21 and 22, you would discover that Jesus mentions 13 different things. There are probably 113, but he mentions 13 different things that come out of the heart. All kinds of despicable things. Now, why does he do that? In in part, he wants us to examine our hearts. He wanted the scribes and Pharisees to examine their hearts. He wanted the disciples to examine their hearts. He wants you, he wants me. To examine our hearts. Well, here's what will happen. If we look at verses uh, 21 and 22, we'll begin to say, wait a minute, so some of these things are are, are coming out of, uh, of our hearts. And it may mean that we say to ourselves, maybe I do not have a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you can change all of that. For some of the rest of us who have been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we look at that and we say, my goodness, I see some of these things in my my heart. What in the world is going on? Maybe what the Bible refers to is we've made a decision to walk in the flesh rather than to walk in the spirit. So it's important for us to examine our spiritual condition at any given point. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to that point, where you place your personal faith and relationship in Jesus Christ to give you a right relationship before Almighty God. This is the time to do it. This is the day to do it. This is the day where you'll come to experience real, real independence before God Almighty. Kelvin Miller is a former uh, seminary professor and writer. He's now with the Lord. And uh, during his... uh, years of ministry. He did a lot of writing, uh, uh, spoke in a number of different contexts. And in one of his books, he talks about the fact that there were two situations in his life that were very, very similar. He said one was uh, an event that prompted some other things that he thought about in his earlier years. And he he said he he was on Broadway um, and he went to a musical and he saw the musical Godspell. And he said he'll never forget where this a young man comes out in jeans, kind of a tattered T-shirt, and he looks at the audience and he says, I want to be washed. <laughs> and Miller said that reminded him of a time in his own life where he was living in Oklahoma between um, summers or between semesters in college. He, he would go and he'd work on the farm. And there'd be some other guys that would be working in the farm as well. They would be out in the hot Oklahoma sun all day. So they'd be throwing these bales onto the wagon, one after the other. He said, get so hot that they'd take off their t-shirts, that their bodies would be sweating, and so we'd get these alpha, alpha grody's all over our body. He said, then in the evening, he said, we would come inside, and he said, near the barn, there was kind of this, this high platform extending from the barn, and there, there was a large barrel, an aluminum barrel. It had rainwater that had gathered in it for, for weeks. And he said, during the, the hot day, that rainwater would start to warm up, and said so there was this rope that was attached to a spigot. And he said the guys would take turns. And there would be one guy who would be holding onto the rope. And the other people, they would come out and they would stand under it. And as soon as they'd stand, get their position under the spigot, they would say, I want to be washed. <laughs> and the water would pour down all of them. And all the dirt and grime would be cleansed from their body. How about you? You need to be washed, in the spiritual sense, that is. You need to be washed, you need to be cleansed from all of the sin, all of the guilt, all of the pain of the past that can happen. and happens as we come to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And for those of us who have trusted Him, we exalt Him, we praise Him, we thank Him for all that He's done for us, what we could not do. For ourselves, Father, would you take this truth, Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our hearts, transform us in ways so that you will be the one who will be glorified. We give ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, pray that you will have a great holiday weekend. If you are visiting Horizon for the first time, as you leave right through those doors, um, there will be a place in the back called the, uh, the Hearth Room. If you have questions about Horizon Community Church, you can stop in there. Be some wonderful people who want to give you information about this, uh, this great church. Thank you for being with us uh, this weekend. God bless you.